Welcome to the Happy Sober Podcast, helping people get back in control of their life, happiness, peace, and purpose, and all without a drop of alcohol. For more information and to book your place on our next free quit drinking webinar, visit www.stopdrinkingexpert.com. And now, here's your host, Craig Beck. Hello, my name is Craig Beck. Uh, I'm known as the Stop Drinking Expert. And welcome in. Uh, Today, I want to talk about social pressure and peer pressure to drink. Uh, Because I got an email this week along those lines, but it actually threw me back to the New York boot camp that I did last week, uh, where this whole kind of cultural, social and peer pressure problem became a huge issue to one person on the boot camp. One lady on it, she just, she couldn't get it into her head. How you can socialize, how you can operate with your job, with your occupation in the corporate world without having alcohol in your life. It just wouldn't go in. Uh, and so I thought this is a huge subject and we need to do a video on it uh, or a podcast on it on its own. So before we get started on that, let me remind you, New York sold out. San Francisco sold out. London sold out. So don't miss your chance to come along and deal with problem drinking in one day with me. Next event coming up, 12th of January, 2019, London, Covent Garden. Go to the website now, reserve your place, stopdrinkingexpert.com. Then February, we're in Nashville uh, in Tennessee. And March, we're looking at Toronto, Canada. So the dates are there. Make sure you get your place. So let's deal with this thorny subject of how do you live in a world full of alcohol if you don't drink? And there's kind of two parts to this, because as always with alcohol, with drinking problems, the problem is never really the problem. It is our perception of the problem that creates the issue. And I'll explain what I mean about that in just a moment. First of all, I think The easiest way to understand this is to change the drug because it is only because we live in this bubble of unreality in the Western world where everyone drinks the poison. Our family drinks it. Our friends drink it. You know, our birth was probably celebrated by people drinking poison. We've, We've distorted our reality so much that the most weird, ridiculous thing has become normal. And we live in a world where it's the people who choose not to drink the cancer-forming, killing poison who are considered weird. Let me recap this for you. This is not a harmless social pleasantry. I don't care what the marketing says. I don't care what the industry says. I don't care what the posters in the bars say. This is not a social pleasantry. This is a very dangerous, very clever drug that kills three million people a year. We just happen to have distorted our world so much that people who don't drink the poison are considered freaks. In fact, some people even say, I don't trust people who don't drink. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense, but that's the world we live in. So if you, you know, if you're thinking, how do I go into a bar full of my friends and not drink, then change the drug and see how you feel about it. Imagine you walked into the bar and all your drinks, all all your friends were sniffing glue. And they said to you, come on, join us. I doubt you would say, yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. Pass me over a tube of glue. I think you would say, no, no, I I don't do glue. Thanks. I'll, I'll just go and get a Coke back in a minute. 
or heroin. Imagine you walked into a bar and everyone was shooting up heroin. Hey, come and join us. Do some heroin. Uh, no, thank you. Really? You're doing that? Do you see how when you change the drug, it becomes a completely different picture? And just because it's legal and just because everyone drinks it doesn't mean it's any different. Alcohol kills vastly more people than heroin. It is a very dangerous, very clever drug. Now, that's kind of one part of it. That's, that's the distortion of reality that we create. The second part of this story, I need to tell you about when I was at school. This is my school, by the way, here. Uh, this is where I went to school. Looks very Miss Marple, doesn't it? Very English. Mm. Um, and there was, a, there was a kid in my school called Suhail Alofi. He was an Egyptian kid. He was one of the toughest guys in the school. And I used to hang around with quite a few of the, the toughest guys in my school. Not because I was also tough, you understand. It's just that I was smart enough to realize that having the toughest kids in school as your best friends was a good bet. I mean, I was pretty much bulletproof. <laughs> so I used to hang around with these kids. But this kind of association, the, hanging around with this group of kids came with a price. It came with some requirements. If you wanted to fit in, you had to prove yourself worthy. And that meant occasionally you had to do stupid things. And so one day, Suhail came up to me and he said, um, I've got a dare for you. I've just been back to Egypt and I brought back with me these special seeds. And he showed me this little bag of brown seeds. And he said, in my country, these are like drugs. These are like hallucinogenics. You take them, you have an amazing trip, man. Now, I'm not stupid. And I wasn't stupid back then. I was pretty much 100% certain that they weren't anything of the sort. <laughs> I was also acutely aware that just taking something without a label like that was potentially very dangerous. Uh, and despite that knowledge, despite being acutely aware that he was probably either completely unaware of where they came from or lying to me, and also that what I was about to do was very dangerous, I still ate the seeds. Now, what do you think happened? Do you think it was A... He was right, and I had an amazing time. Or was it B, he was wrong, I got violently ill, missed school for three days, and then was grounded? Or was it C, he was wrong and nothing happened? I think you already know, don't you? Of course it was B. I got violently ill, started throwing up everywhere, and ended up going off school ill for three days. Now, what's the point of this story? The point is, I was like 12 years old when this happened. And when you're at that age in life, you need the validation of other people. You're not emotionally mature enough. You don't have the emotional intelligence to know who you are as a person. You haven't established where your boundaries are, what you stand for, what is right, what is wrong, where your moral code is. You're, you don't have the self-esteem and the confidence to say, this is who I am and I'm proud of it. And so you need the validation of other people because you assume that they know better than you. That they have some sort of insight that you are not privy to. And so you need the approval of your peers. Now... The vast majority of people who come to my quit drinking boot camps are over 30, 
into middle age. I'd say the probably average age, just from looking at people, I'd say is about 42, 43 years old, something like that. And there's a reason for that, because getting addicted to alcohol is not an overnight process. It takes years, normally decades, to really get a problem with alcohol. And so that kind of figures, doesn't it? If you start drinking at 18, 19, 20 years old and a couple of decades to get really, really embedded, and then you end up at my door. Now, the point is, by the time you get into middle age, by the time you get past your 30s, you've kind of established who you are as a person. And this is true for most people. You've made peace with who you are. You've accepted your faults. You've accepted that there are some things that you're never going to be good at. And that's okay. For me, my coordination is appalling. I'm never going to be a dancer. And I know that. That's fine. I don't need it. You know, I can leave it behind. I know who I am as a person. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. And it's all good. And I think by the time you get to middle age, you've established those sort of boundaries in your life. You know who you are and what you stand for. You know what you'll accept and what you won't. You know where your moral compass is. So you don't need the approval of other people. You no longer need to be validated by the group. Because if anything, needing that validation is an expression of your lack of confidence. It's an expression that you are weak, not an expression that you are strong. To stand up in a room full of drinkers and say, I'm not drinking because I don't want to, is an expression of strength, not a demonstration that you're weak or strange or a freak. And so I think back to that lady at boot camp who just couldn't understand how she could entertain clients without drinking. You know, this whole excuse of social pressure, peer pressure, is just that. It's an excuse. Because actually, there's there's no strength to it. It doesn't make any sense anymore. It would make sense if you were a 15-year-old boy. But if you're into your 30s, 40s, or 50s, and you're using this as a, a reason why you can't stop drinking, what you have got there is plausible deniability. You have an excuse that is good enough to stand up to the inspection of most people. You can, you can go up to anyone you want and say, it's so hard to quit drinking because of the social pressure. And 99% of people will say, you're right. I absolutely agree with you. But actually, when you dig, and you don't need to dig very far, when you dig under the surface of that excuse, what you find is it has no legs. Because let's change the subject again. Imagine that you have decided to become a vegan. All right. You've gone through that painful process of getting used to life without meat. Sure, you missed bacon sandwiches and roast chicken and all that stuff that you used to love, but you've gone through that and now you proudly own veganism as a part of who you are as a person. You will not eat animals because it fundamentally crosses what you believe in. And one day you go into a bar and everyone is not only eating barbecue, but they're trying to force you to eat it too. And everyone is saying, go on, just have a bit of chicken to be social. Come on, what's wrong with you? You've changed. Come on, you're not as much fun when you don't eat chicken. Have some chicken. 
You wouldn't tolerate that. You wouldn't go, yeah, well, the social pressure is too strong. I've got to, I've got to have the chicken. You would say, I don't eat meat and stop asking me. That fundamentally crosses who I am as a person. Don't ask me again. I'm offended. I'm insulted. Stop trying to force me to do what you're doing. And there's no difference. You go into a room full of people drinking and they all start trying to force you to drink. You, ha- you are within your rights to say, stop doing that. I don't drink and I don't appreciate you trying to do that. You are the person in the room who's choosing not to drink the poison. You're not the one who's weird. The perfectly sensible, intelligent human beings standing opposite you who are drinking diluted poison for fun are the ones doing something a bit strange. They should be defending their actions to you and not the other way around. But that is this distorted reality, the bubble of unreality that we live in in the Western world around alcohol. This is not a harmless social pleasantry. This is a dangerous, clever, devious, insidious drug that kills three million people a year. You are old enough, you are intelligent enough, and you are mature enough to be able to stand up for what you believe in. And if you believe that a life without alcohol is better and that a life with alcohol makes you miserable, then you are also strong enough to stand up for that belief and to be proud to be a happy, sober individual. I hope that makes sense. Thank you so much for listening to me today. If you have any questions you want me to answer, please fire them over. Craig at craigbeck.com is the email address. I would love to meet you one day at a quit drinking boot camp. Don't forget, London in January, Nashville in February, Toronto in March. Stopdrinkingexpert.com. Thank you.